I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system, which regulates many of our most critical bodily functions, such as learning and memory, emotional processing, sleep, temperature and pain control, and inflammatory and immune responses. The CBD brand that I take and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce a new innovation to their reserve collection, a sleep gummy. The reserve collection is a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids, including THC. Rich and bold, the Reserve Collection products are for when intense support is needed. Reserve Sleep Gummies build on their unique Reserve Collection formula with effective sleep-focused ingredients to better prepare you for bed each night. Wake up feeling refreshed, energized, and ready to take on the day with Reserve Sleep Gummies. All of Plus CBD's products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code HOFFMAN30 for 30 percent off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new reserve collection, Sleep Gummies. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. I'm very pleased to announce that today's guest is familiar to most of you via his best-selling book, Wheat Belly. Uh, He wrote that book a couple of years ago, and it's been a sensation. It's really revolutionized our thinking about gluten. He's none other than Dr. William Davis. Dr. Davis is a cardiologist. Uh, He has uh, lately uh, taken an interest in uh, diet and natural ways of optimizing health. Uh, Gluten elimination is something near and dear to his heart, and he's really made a difference in terms of getting the word out. Uh, He has a new book coming out uh, next month. It's entitled Super Gut, Reprogram Your Microbiome to Restore Health, Lose Weight, and Turn Back the Clock. And it's billed as the only truly prescriptive book on managing your microbiome. So we want to do a deep dive on that. He's also uh, author of a book entitled Undoctored, Why Healthcare Has Failed You and How You Can Become Smarter Than Your Doctor. Uh, That's a theme that uh, I think has special resonance during the pandemic because a lot of people uh, are at this point, uh, confused about government edicts and uh, conflicting opinions on how to crush COVID, uh, well, uh, we could use a little bit of uh, undoctoring. Uh, So, uh, Dr. David, it's a pleasure having you on the program. Uh, So, it's been several years since you wrote the book uh, Wheat Belly. Uh, Are you surprised by the degree of uh, uptake of your recommendations to avoid gluten, that it seems to be all the rage. I mean, you know, they really get it when you go to a restaurant and they put the bread on the table and you, just, and you wave your hand and you say, no. You know, I don't think it's my charm or good looks or <laughs> riveting personality. I think it's the power of the message. That is, people, it, I think it took a lot of people by surprise. It was just so much out of left field and so inconsistent, of course, uh, with general guidelines from the U.S. government and other sources. But I think when people did it, they realized that uh, this was real. This was true, that there is not it's not just a matter of losing a few pounds. It's really a transformation in health that occurs. But it also means that we've 
been guilty of committing a huge dietary mistake for the last few thousand years, but it's gotten worse because of what agribusiness did to the wheat plant. And so I think it's the it, the results speak for themselves. So take us through some of the mechanisms by which uh, uh, wheat and, and gluten products can undermine our health, uh, including our, our metabolism, because you know so many people can vouch for the fact that uh, after giving up uh, wheat and reducing their carbohydrate intake, uh, they just lose scads and scads of weight. It's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the big reasons why that works so well for, from a weight loss viewpoint is that there's a protein in, in wheat called gliadin. Now, gliadin's always been a part of the wheat plant, but the gliadin of modern wheat is different. The amino acid sequence is different. By the way, that's one of the reasons why there's been a fourfold increase in celiac disease. It's mm-hmm. the gliadin protein that triggers that response. But one of the things we uh, that helps people understand all this is that uh, grains are seeds of grasses, the seeds of grass plants, and humans simply don't have the digestive enzymes to break down the components of grasses. That's why when you see a field of grass, you don't start salivating because it looks so delicious. So when we try to eat the seeds of grasses, that is grains, we're unable to break down those proteins into single amino acids, like you would say with a, uh, proteins from eggs or proteins from a piece of salmon or a pork chop. We break down the proteins of gliadin into four or five amino acid long peptide fragments. But these peptide fragments have a unique ability to cross the brain and bind to the opioid receptors. Where they don't make you high, they stimulate appetite. Yeah. And they cause you to eat more. And so when you take away gliadin-derived opioid peptides, there's a spectacular drop in appetite. And so it's kind of a built-in advantage of this lifestyle that you get rid of the this very potent appetite stimulant. There's a number of other problems associated with, with grains. Uh, now, I, I should make clear that these problematic components were not put there to, f- to fuss with you, to, to, to do something bad to you. It was done for agricultural purpose. For instance, farmers and agricultural scientists uh, choose strains of wheat that express more wheat germaglutinin and phytates because those two things make the wheat more resistant to pests like insects and molds. Well, those two things are also very toxic to humans. Mm-hmm. So wheat germaglutinin is, is a bowel toxin. It's an extremely potent bowel toxin and it's completely indigestible by humans. It, it goes in intact and it comes out in the toilet intact, but as it passes through, from mouth to toilet, it's extremely toxic to the lining of the GI tract. And then those phytates, also a pest-resistant component, bind minerals. They bind positively charged minerals like iron and zinc and calcium and magnesium, and you poop them out. So, in other words, you consume grains, and we're told we need them for nutrients. Actually, the opposite is true. When you consume grains, it causes substantial deficiencies of um, several minerals. Yeah, it, it's a chelating agent, actually. It just grabs onto the minerals and pulls them out. Exactly. Uh, yes. Other concerns with uh, uh, wheat and, and certainly uh, things that are GMO, uh, genetically modified uh, organisms, which, which corn is by and large, soy is by and large, uh, is the application of uh, various uh, pesticides, including glyphosate. And, and wheat, although it's not GMO, uh is often treated with glyphosate, right? And, and that may be part of the, the harm that it causes to the GI tract. Absolutely. 
you know, glyphosate is an herbicide, of course. It's the active component in the product Roundup. But it's also an antibiotic. And oddly, it's an antibiotic of the worst kind because it, it's effective in killing off healthy species like those in probiotics. And it's ineffective in killing off pathogenic species like the stool microbes like E. coli or Klebsiella. So Monsanto actually filed for patents for glyphosate as an antibiotic until they realized just what an awful product it really was. So so they uh, part of the uh, drying and desiccating process with wheat, from what I understand, is that they apply a, a glyphosate to it uh, to maybe prevent uh, mold growth or, or, you know, to give it more shelf life. Right. And it now means that we're all filled with glyphosate. Sadly, if all of us had our urine, blood, hair, skin tested, we all have glyphosate in us. And it makes me, you know, I, I, I'm speculating now, but you got to speculate that the extreme exposure to glyphosate may be one of the major factors why everybody has disrupted their intestinal microbiome. You know, one of the unintended consequences of uh, wheat belly and, and this movement to uh, eschew uh, gluten products has been uh, the burgeoning gluten-free industry. You can get virtually, you know, gluten-free everything these days. It's very au courant. But uh, uh, you are quick to uh, apply correction to that trend, right? Yeah, it's one of the unintended consequences. So if we're trying to avoid wheat and grains, you don't want to replace a problematic group of foods with another problem. And that's what's happening with the gluten-free foods. And the reason for that is, as you know, the, the four ingredients they choose to replace wheat flour are cornstarch, rice flour, potato starch, and tapioca starch. And these, you know, very few things raise blood sugar higher than whole wheat, surprisingly. Whole wheat raises blood sugar higher than table sugar. But there's a short list of foods that raise blood sugar even higher than wheat, and that is cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, potato flour. In other words, so they cause extravagant prices. Yeah, they're, they're calorie yes. bombs. Yeah. Uh, it, you Very actually, fine. I'm sorry, you actually wrote a... Finely ground, lots of surface area for digestion. So they raise blood sugar sky high, cause insulin to, to go sky high, and it causes visceral fat. So people gain a ton of weight. So that's a mistake some people will say. They say, I did wheat belly and went gluten-free, and I gained 30 pounds. <laughs> that's, that's why we don't include gluten-free foods in this in this life. So you can be gluten-free, but don't buy gluten-free processed foods. And, and one of the alternatives to uh, gluten is, is corn. And uh, in a blog that you wrote a couple of years ago, uh, you weigh in on the problem associated with corn, and it, it – it, it's not just what we eat. Uh, it's what we eat eats, right? It has an impact on our systems because a lot of the, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, some of these old-fashioned uh, Westerns, you know, really popular now is 1883 where they show the original uh, cattle drives uh, with the longhorn cattle, you know, that were grazing on the, on the open plains uh, on grass. Um, but now all, the, all of the, the meat is corn-fed. And so – that has implications. Right, right. It changes the composition of meat. Exactly. And corn is often given a, a free pass, and it really shouldn't be because it is also a seed of a grass. It doesn't look like that anymore because the plant, the original teosinte and then maize plant, was put through a number of very extreme mutations. And so what we call uh, corn on the cob today, the cob is a mutation. 
It doesn't look like that. But it remains the seed of a grass, and the gliadin protein that's so toxic to humans from wheat, the counterpart is the zein protein. These proteins are called by scientists prolamin proteins, because they're all closely related. They all have a lot of proline uh, amino acid in their sequences, but they all have the same problem. They're not very digestible by humans, and they can trigger such things as, as celiac disease. Now, I'm always impressed that our gastroenterologist colleagues will tell people with celiac disease, eat gluten-free foods, which are largely made of cornstarch, yeah. which are contaminated by zein protein residues. And that's one of the reasons why people who have celiac disease uh, often have a recurrence by eating gluten-free foods. Yeah, so sometimes uh, for I, I notice some of my complicated, long-term suffering celiac patients – uh, they do better with a complete grain elimination, a grain-free diet, uh, as opposed to just simply eliminating gluten. Uh, they may require that additional step to get well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I thought of you uh, the other day because uh, I was sharing uh, on my radio program uh, an article. Uh, the headline is, Gluten-Free Diet Relieves Chronic Back Pain. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the study. It's a Spanish study. No, I've seen it. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with it? it no, no. Yeah, it's a, it's a great study. That, uh, patients in a rheumatology clinic who had chronic refractory low back pain with an average duration of 15 years, uh, and then they uh, were asked to follow a gluten-free diet for at least four months. And what they found is that uh, 79% improved, 48% had a remission of low back pain. This is after average 15 years of chronic low back pain. 31% were able to return to work. 53% were able to decrease uh, their use of painkillers by at least a half. 21% were able to discontinue opioids that they were hooked on. And uh, uh, of the 56 patients who tried reintroducing gluten to their diet, 96% had a recurrence of symptoms when they when they started <laughs> when they challenged themselves again with gluten. So, whoa, that that I mean I mean not, you know, that's almost a too good to be true study because so many people suffer from low back pain and sometimes it's a structural problem. Uh you could put chiropractors out of business with this. <laughs> that's great. I'll have to dig that study up. I'll Thank send, you for pointing I'll send, that out. I'll send you a link. Uh, but so what explains that? Is there some anti-inflammatory thing or is it via the leaky gut uh, theory, you know, of, uh, uh, you know, antigens passing into the systemic circulation, creating inflammation? What's going on there? You know, I'll speculate that it's due to the loss of visceral fat. That often occurs when you go gluten-free, when you eliminate grains. Uh, that is, the waste shrinks primarily because you lose visceral fat. And visceral fat, of course, is very inflammatory. And it's been shown in other settings that when you lose visceral fat, there is a marked reduction in uh, various forms of pain. So it, mu it must be an inflammation-driven process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's what uh, I surmised, although the study doesn't uh – doesn't speak to the mechanism, but it, you know, uh, it's remarkable because um, there there really is a diet pain linkage, and if we get more people to invoke uh, a diet solution to pain, you know, we could reduce dependency on, you know, virtually all these medications have harmful side effects. Mm -hmm. So uh, your new foray is into. The microbiome, and it, there's a linkage because obviously uh, gluten has a deleterious effect on the microbiome. Uh, what's the new focus of your book on uh, entitled Super Gut? 
Well, so lots of people, as you point out, have been doing this lifestyle, whether we call it wheat belly or undoctored, but it's essentially a grain-free lifestyle with uh, paying attention to several nutrients that are simply lacking in modern life. So the nutrients don't compensate for deficiencies of, of the diet. They compensate for deficiencies of modern life, like magnesium, because we don't go to the river or stream anymore to drink water that contains uh, minerals. We now have to drink filtered water, and whether the city filters it or you filter it in your own home, water filtration removes all magnesium. So we all begin with fairly profound magnesium depletion. And so the combination of diet and those handful of nutrients, omega-3 fatty acids, magnesium, iodine, and vitamin D, and uh, many people experience fairly dramatic improvements in health, weight loss, etc. But there were a, a substantial proportion of people who said things like, yeah, I lost 47 pounds, but I plateaued mm -hmm. and I have another 30 to go, but I'm, I'm kind of stuck. Or I had type 2 diabetes and my hemoglobin A1C, that long-term measure of blood sugar, was 11.7. It's now down to 5.9%. So it's a lot better, but it's mm -hmm. not ideal. I'm stuck at 5.9. I, I want I want to be 5.0 or less. Or somebody had rheumatoid arthritis and uh, most of the pain is gone, but they have occasional flare-ups. So the question I asked was, what's, what are we missing here? What's mm -hmm. missing in this program? And so that's when I started looking at the microbiome. I, I, what I found really was astounding. And I, it's now clear the microbiome is an incredibly powerful place to look for a source of problems and a wonderful place to find solutions, too. So one of the uh, challenges in, in trying to uh, optimize the microbiome is that it's not simply a matter of uh, changing diet or, or maybe taking probiotics. There seems to be sort of a refractoriness uh, for some people because they're almost programmed to have a certain uh, bacterial population in their intestinal tract. So it, so it is challenging. Uh, the variety of strategies that have been proposed, which uh, strategies do you embrace in your book? Well, there's a number of them. I, I liken the microbiome to having a backyard vegetable garden. So you have to prepare the soil, pick out the stones and the sticks. You have to plant seeds, and that takes several forms like fermented foods and probiotics and other things. And then you have to water and fertilize it, which is the things that uh, nourish microbes like prebiotic fibers and polysaccharides and polyphenols. It sounds like a lot, but it's not that tough. But one of the most uh, impressive things that comes out of this this effort is when you restore selected microbes that have been lost by modern people. So it's, it's become clear that all the things we've done to ourselves, like take antibiotics, you know, the uh, average 40-year-old has had 30 courses of antibiotics yep. in that uh, in the first 40 years of their life. It's amazing. But other things as well, glyphosate, like we mentioned, like we talked about, uh, emulsifying agents in ice cream and salad dressing, synthetic sweeteners like aspartame and diet colas. All these things disrupt the human microbiome. And one of the effects is we've lost species. And one of the most important species you, everybody can replace is Lactobacillus reuteri, Mm -hmm. R-E-U-T-E-R-I, after the German discoverer, Gerhard Reuter. And we, we get a hold of this microbe, which you can buy commercially. Now, the problem with a lot of products when you buy uh, these microbes is they're, you buy them in very small numbers. The original product I used was called BioGaia Gastrus, G-A-S-T-R-U-S. And that those tablets are made for babies. And so the quantity of microbes is relatively trivial. So 
I decided to make yogurt out of it, but not yogurt in the conventional sense, a very different kind of yogurt, very different process in order to get much higher bacterial counts. So we make yogurt out of lactobacillus roteri. We ferment for 36 hours and uh, we did flow cytometry on these yogurts many times and we get somewhere around 250 to 260 billion bacteria per half cup serving. And when people restore this microbe, wonderful things happen. One of the things it does is it causes your brain to release the hormone oxytocin. Mm. So you find yourself liking your partner better, liking your family better, liking your coworkers better, feeling more empathy for other people. There, there's a food, Being food able connection see, for sure and a, and a, and a, a yes. micro, uh, brain gut connection. Mm-hmm. Outside of the oxytocin emotional effects, there's also effects like the ladies love it because they, there's an explosion in dermal collagen and their skin starts to smooth out and they lose wrinkles. But there's also a restoration of youthful muscle and strength. You know, as we, as you know, as we age, we lose about a third of our muscle and strength. It comes back. There's a preservation of bone density, very important for the ladies. Uh, suppresses appetite even further. So even though you may have a great start, in controlling appetite by going grain-free, you can go even further by the appetite suppression, suppressing effect of the uh, oxytocin from Rotary. Um, and sleep is deeper. I'm a chronic insomniac. I always have, all my life, struggled to sleep. I now sleep nine hours straight through hmm. with vivid dreams. Wow. So it, and that's just one microbe, one microbe with extraordinary power to change how you feel, how you look, how you perform in life, and the way you feel for about other people. It, it, this is a DIY process where you uh, purchase some of the, the starter for the yogurt and then you, you uh, uh, incubate it uh, under the right circumstances. Then it just makes a whole lot of the uh, roideri. Yeah. You know, we got to think back to our microbiology days. <laughs> As you recall, microbes don't have sexual reproduction. There's no mommy and daddy microbes. They just double. One becomes two, two becomes four. Well, Rotary takes three hours to double. Now, in commercial yogurt manufacturing, they ferment. They allow this to happen over four hours. So in commercial yogurt making, there's almost no – they stop it. That's right. Uh, And then they add things like gel and gum, xanthan gum, guar gum to thicken it because it should be thick. From fermentation, but they don't wait long enough. They're, they're trying to hasten the manufacturing process for the, to enhance revenues. Likewise, many uh, home yogurt makers will ferment for 12 hours. Well, for Rotary, that's four doublings. So we've been fermenting for 36 hours. We get 12 doublings, and that's how you get the 250, 260 billion counts. By the way, we did test via flow cytometry 48 hours and 36 hours is the magic number because after 36 hours there's actually no further increase because microbes start to die there's too much competition for the resources in your in your in your yogurt but you're you're right you do need some kind of device it could be a yogurt maker it could be a sous vide device it could be an instant pot some device that maintains with this microbe, a temperature around human body temperature, like 97 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, ideally, people get a device that has adjustable temperature because if you really get into this stuff, and that's one of the things I do in the Super Gut book, you have other microbes that like other temperatures. For instance, Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a great way to make, a, by the way, a cider, a, an effervescent cider. It's extremely easy and tremendous effects, beneficial effects. You only need around 80 degrees Fahrenheit. But then there's Bacillus coagulans, 
uh, if you make yogurt out of that, it can reduce arthritis pain. Mm. It can actually reduce the size of your waist. Well, that one likes 115 to 122 degrees Fahrenheit. So, uh, you know, as you go through the, I, I, people sometimes get overwhelmed. I say, I can't make all these yogurts. So mm. I tell them, you don't have to. Think about it like going to a restaurant. You go to a restaurant, waitress hands you a menu. You don't freak out and say, I can't order all these appetizers and main dishes and desserts. You pick and choose the dishes you want. Mm -hmm. Same thing here. And maybe you pick can introduce the them sequentially. You know, perhaps uh, you know, you, there's a process by which you can introduce one and establish it in your intestinal tract and then move on to recolonize with the others. Exactly. You can even co-ferment some, though you start to not get as high a number. And part of the magic of all this is the very high numbers that we're generating using this method. Okay. And detailed instructions for all this. Uh, it sounds daunting, but uh, there's a step-by-step -step, uh, instruction in Super Gut. Reprogram your microbiome to restore health, lose weight, and turn back the clock. Scheduled for release February 1, 2022. But uh, you can pre-order, right, from all the usual sources and uh, get your copy as soon as it's published. Um Great stuff. Uh, let's uh, continue in part two. We got a lot more to discuss with today's guest, uh, Dr. William De Davis. Uh, he's an innovator. He's a cardiologist uh, and author of Wheat Belly and other books. His latest book, Super Gut. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.